I just want to remind everybody that uh, the messages that are spoken on Sunday mornings, uh, we have a podcast for the church. So if you're if you miss a week and want to catch up, uh, it's just searching iTunes uh, for St. James Gospel Chapel. It'll show up there or soundcloud.com. Um, and the interesting thing about that is so far, 24 countries around the world have listened to messages from here uh, in about 84 cities and over 400 unique people um, have listened to, to messages. So it's, it's kind of neat that the messages that are preached here not only reach the assembly here, uh, but can go out into the world and people can listen to it, enjoy it, learn from God's word. So it is kind of exciting to, to be a part of that. Um, so yeah, if you do miss a week or you have others who just aren't able to make it out here, um, I know my grandparents, they live in BC and they love hearing the messages from here. Uh, and I used to get them from Jeff and either mail them a CD or upload it uh, for my grandparents to listen to, but now they just subscribe to the podcast. Uh, so just a reminder for that. Well, as Chris mentioned, we're continuing in the book of Colossians. And so if you turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, we'll be spending most of our time there this morning. This past week, the CEO of SpaceX, it's a private space agency, and those are becoming more commonplace nowadays, uh, as NASA uh, sort of doesn't really do much in terms of, of space anymore, uh, in terms of what they used to do. And so SpaceX is a private space agency, and they announced their plan for colonizing Mars this past week. Uh, Elon Musk, the outspoken CEO of SpaceX and Tesla, um, autonomous, autonomous electrical vehicles, um, and then also SpaceX, which he announced his plan to colonize Mars. And eventually, uh, starting in 2018, start sending uh, spacecraft to Mars and create a highway of sorts from Earth to Mars every 26 months, because that's when the planets are closest together. Um, and eventually, he says, we can bring down the cost of a trip to Mars down to about 200,000 US. Uh, and so he says that's affordable uh, for most people, uh, you know, if you want to sell your house and move out to Mars and live on a rock. Um, but the reason that he has this plan, the reason that they're going forward with this, and, and their plan is within 10 to 20 years to fully be sending about 100 to 200 people each, each launch to Mars and eventually have a colony of about a million people on Mars. The reason he says that they're doing this and pursuing this is because mankind has to be a, a multi-planetary species or else it will die out. <laughs> you see, the world doesn't even believe in itself. <laughs> the world itself has given up on itself. However great the world system thinks it is, however wealthy the rich and the world elite are, they can't escape this one thought that this world is a dying world. This world is a dying world, and that it's crumbling. And so Paul, in the section that we're going to look at this morning, he doesn't focus on the world at all. He doesn't pray. The prayer that we're going to look at that Paul prays isn't, well, I hope that things you know, get better for you in this life, on this earth. No, he prays for the spiritual things. He prays for the eternal things. He prays for the things that matter. Now let's build out the verse that sums up the book of Colossians, a verse that we've been reading every single time. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. And I want you to turn there to read it from the page. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. But continuing, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. 
Verse 3, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And where is Christ? Well, he's above. He's, uh, we're to seek those things above where Christ is. Verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. What is the goal or the hope of a believer? It's to be with Christ. It's to be with Christ. And that's why we're to set our affection there. That's why we're to set our affection there. That is our home. We are hid in Christ. We are hid in Christ. Christ is there, and that's where we belong. And so that's why Paul continually says throughout this book, set your mind on things above. Don't even concern yourself with the things of the earth. The earth will take care of itself. It's a crumbling. It's a failing. It's a falling world. But you belong in heaven. You belong in heaven. The price has been paid for your sin, and you belong in heaven. You don't belong here anymore. And so Paul continually reminds us that heaven is our home. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26, and we covered this a couple months ago as I spoke during the summer, uh, speaking of Moses in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, He that is Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He was looking to the reward. Why did Moses forsake Pharaoh? Why did he forsake everything that he had in Egypt? I mean, he had great wealth. He had great power and authority. He was the prince of Egypt. He had it all. Why did he forsake that? Because it says he looked. He looked to the reward. And to look, the word used there, literally means to focus one's attention completely and solely on one thing. To not look at anything else. And so Moses could look forward and see eternity with God. And he said that is worth far more than anything this life or this world could ever, ever offer. And later on in that passage it would say that he saw the one who is invisible, that through the eyes of faith Moses saw God. Moses didn't waste his time thinking about this life. No, he thought of eternal things. And that's why he followed the Lord's leading. He was concerned about the glory of God. And we're going to see, turning your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, that Paul is concerned about the glory of God. Colossians chapter 1, and we'll read from verse 1 and read the chapter in its entirety. Colossians 1 verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you since the day you heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, 
strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the, invis- who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every crea- creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister." who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the affliction of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. It's always hard to read uh, what Paul writes because the sentences just keep going uh, and you don't really, there's no natural breaks. But Colossians chapter 1, and we'll be looking Um, from verses 9 to verse 14 this morning. Last week we saw that love is a fruit of hope, and that hope is found in the gospel, and the source of it all is the working of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers. We took a look at that. Verse 3, it says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw that Paul thanked God and not the believers for the faith and the love that they had. Because Paul realized that it was working of the Holy Spirit, that it was working of God in their lives that brought about that. We came to the conclusion, just as Paul did, that it's the pursuit of Christ that determines your fruit. Not the pursuit of the fruit. It's the pursuit of Christ. And as we seek Him, as we look at Him, as we look to Him, the Holy Spirit does a work in us. And then we can love. We can have patience. And so we looked and saw that the pursuit of Christ is what determines your fruit. And if you're not looking at Christ, then the fruits of the Spirit will not be visible in your life. But oftentimes we get it mixed up, right? We pursue love, we pursue the fruit, we say, I need to do this. When in fact, what Paul is saying here and reminding us is, all you need to do is look at Christ. 
When you look at Christ and see the example that he is, the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life. It begins to transform you. It begins to transform your speech, your actions, your motives, everything. And it further conforms you to the image of Christ himself. And the fruits of the Spirit are born out of that. That's the reality of it. It's not pursuing fruit, it's pursuing Christ. And so the question of, well, why would I look forward to heaven? Or why would I look at Christ when life here is going so well? Paul reminds us that that's not the mind of a believer, and that shouldn't be the mind of a believer to question that. What the mind of a believer should be is pursuing Christ. That's what it's to be. Bearing fruit means looking upwards. Bearing fruit means looking upwards. In verses 9 to 14, it outlines Paul's prayer for the believers at Colossae. And we already know that Paul is praised for them from verse 3. Uh, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. So we know that Paul is praying, but verses 9 to 14 show the substance of what he is praying. This section shows the importance of prayer as well. Notice that Paul doesn't pray for the physical, and I mentioned this already, but he doesn't pray for the physical at all. If you take a look at every single one of Paul's prayers in the New Testament, he doesn't pray for the physical. He always prays and centers and focuses on the spiritual because Paul realizes that that's the thing that matters. That's the thing that matters. I mean, Paul is a prisoner after all. He understands what the physical demands are of this life. Paul knows what it means to be beaten, stoned, left for dead, shipwrecked, chained. He knows it all. He knows the physical. But yet he says the spiritual is way more important. The spiritual is way more important. And the thorn in the flesh, I love that Paul says, I prayed for it three times, then he stopped praying. <laughs> he says, the Lord answered me and said, my grace is sufficient for you. He said, okay. God is working on me. God is working on my spiritual well-being. That's all he was concerned about. He said, I prayed three specific times, and that's it for that. Paul is more concerned about the spiritual well-being, not only of himself, but of those that he writes to as well. When was the last time that you labored in prayer for your fellow believers? In Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, it mentions Epaphras. Now, if you remember Epaphras, he was uh, a citizen of Colossae. He lived in the city of Colossae. He heard Paul's messages when Paul was speaking at Ephesus. And he goes back and he helps form three churches in the region around Colossae. And in those churches, he realizes, uh, specifically at Colossae, that something just isn't quite right, that there's something entering the church, that people there are starting to introduce the idea that Christ isn't enough, that Christ isn't sufficient, that we need to be praying to angels and celestial bodies, and all kinds of weird things are coming into the church. But he doesn't just sit back and say, you know what, I'm just one person in a cog of this, this assembly, this gathering. He seeks out help. And so Epaphras, this man, he travels 2,000 kilometers to where Paul is chained in Rome. And he seeks guidance from him. He seeks guidance from him. And in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, Paul mentions this, and he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, so he's from you, 
a servant of Jesus Christ, that he knows the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is serving him fully, he greets you, what does it say, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. The word struggling here means to labor fervently. It actually means to compete for a prize, to compete for a prize. Now, when I was in middle school and, and high school, I did track and field. That was about the only sport uh, that I played. If, I guess it's a bunch of sports. I don't know how you characterize it. Um, but I was in track and field, and, and I didn't particularly like it that much. Um, and I was kind of an anomaly because normally when people run long distances, they don't do short distances either. Uh, don't do short distances at the same time. But I did the 100, 200, 400, 1500, 3K. Um, that was sort of, that was my jam. Um, the 100 meter, I was, at one point, I was the second fastest in Manitoba. The 200 meter and 400 meter, I was the second fastest as well. The 1500 and 3K, that was mine. Uh, I was the fastest by quite a bit in, in Manitoba. Um, I remember in, in grade six, actually, when I first was introduced to track and field, and they said, well, you can run, so uh, take the 3K. So, okay, I don't, I don't know what three kilometers is. And so I just, started, I just started running. I was competing against people four years older than I was. They were taller. I, was, I mean, I'm still not massively tall or anything like that. So when I run, I have to run a little bit faster than everybody else. But they were four years older than me. They had longer legs. They've done this for several years. This was my first year. And so we're running around and... Through 3,000 meters, three, three kilometers, you're just running around in circles around the track time and time again. And it got to the point where the guy just in front of me, he was four years older than I was, he was just in front of me, and he sort of collapsed. He sort of gave up at, at the end. He was always looking back at me, seeing how far away I was. And we had coaches along the side um, that were telling us how far and what our pace was and everything. And so he knew that I was right behind him, but he ended up collapsing. And I stopped. I didn't know that, you know, this was my first time, but I stopped and I helped him up. Uh, and then he looked at me and he just took off. And I said, well, you know, what is this guy doing? Like, I, I helped him up. Um, and so he just took off and then I chased after him. That's the hardest I've ever run in my life. And so he was looking back as with the last final stretch, the last 200 meters, we're just charging, bolting, fully fledged forward. And I'm coming up on him very fast. And I eventually pass him. And then I win, and I get first place. I claim the prize for that. He was four years older than I was. He was completely devastated because he was the champion. Um, but that's what it's like. That's what Paul is mentioning here, that Epaphras was struggling on behalf of the believers at Colossae in his prayers, that he was running a race, as it were, that he was competing for a prize, the same struggle that you go through in a race to obtain a prize. That's what Epaphras was doing. That he was laboring fully in prayer for them. I mean, this was a guy who loved the church. This was a guy who loved the believers in the church. And I think he's a very good example for you and for me. And especially, again, I've mentioned it every week, I believe, but especially for those who have a pastoral heart in our assembly. Look at Epaphras. Study Epaphras. He's a wonderful example for us. Now, what was Paul's prayer for the Colossian believers? Because Paul would struggle on their behalf as well in his prayers. In verse 9 of Colossians chapter 1, 
What is Paul's prayer for the Colossian believers? For this cause we also, so after seeing their love in the Spirit and seeing the working of the Holy Spirit in their lives, he says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you may be filled. It means total control. Paul is saying, I want you to be totally controlled with the knowledge and the word. The Greek word used for knowledge is epignos, epignosis. And it means not just a surface knowledge, but it means deep-rooted, deep-rooted, thorough knowledge. Paul is saying, and what that word actually means uh, literally is to cram something into into a space so that there is no space left over. To just cram it and fill it completely full. So Paul is saying, I want you to be filled not with surface knowledge of of who God is, but I want you to understand the depths, the riches of who Christ is. I want you to gain the fullness of the knowledge of who he is. And that word meaning to cram, uh, to cram into so that there's no more space. I mean, liken it to packing a suitcase and taking on a plane. You don't want to pay two baggage fees. (laughs) Nobody wants to pay the extra 70 bucks. And so when you have everything laid out on your bed, you start shoving stuff in that suitcase and you find pockets that you didn't even know were there. And you start cramming it in and you're punching that bag, you're stepping on it, you're jumping on it. You got the zipper and you think it's going to bust, but you just keep tying it up because you want to fit everything in there. And then you look at your bed and see there's a bunch of other stuff that you forgot. But that's the idea there is to cram it into, to understand, to gain the fullness of the knowledge of who Christ is. And to just be so completely filled with it that he's all you think about. That he does become your all in all. That's what Paul's getting at. That you may be filled, filled with the knowledge of his will. And Paul is saying, I want you to be totally dominated, not by a superficial understanding, but by deep knowledge. I want you to cram as much into yourself as possible. And the knowledge of what? It says here, the knowledge of his will. How can you know the will of God? Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible, some 176 verses, and apart from roughly three uh, that I found, uh, of that entire chapter, the psalmist is discussing knowing God's truth. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in all of Scripture, is, speaks solely on God's truth. He uses words like statutes, laws, ordinances, commands, or word multiple times, and it's all discussing God. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the longest chapter of the Bible focuses on the will and knowledge of God. And Paul says, I want you to be filled completely with all of that. I want you to understand the depths of who God and Christ are. Paul, from from Epaphras, had heard that the Colossian believers were good, and he prayed that they might be better. And it's a good reminder for us to pray for those who are excited in the Lord, who are downcast in the Lord. You see, oftentimes we pray for somebody when a prayer request comes up, and then a little while later, they kind of fall off our list. But Paul is reminding us that we need to be praying for everyone constantly, laboring together in prayer for one another. Because Paul heard the report that the Colossian believers were good, but he wanted them to be better. 
He wanted them to be more Christ-like, to pursue that goal further and faster than ever before. He wanted Christ to abound in their lives. And so it's a reminder for us as well to be laboring together and to be laboring in prayer for one another. Now, Paul only heard about Colossae once in a while from what it seems, and yet he prayed. He says here, I pray all the time for you. And that's why Paul makes such a strong point here. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I want you to know scripture so intimately and so completely that it transforms your life. That's what Paul is praying here. I want you to live out everything that you read. And why does he want that in the lives of the believers there? Verse 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord. He mentions walking worthy of the Lord. And how do you do that? Well, it begins and ends with the knowledge of God. It begins and ends with the knowledge of God. In verse 9, it says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So you need, you need to be filled with the knowledge of his will in order to, in verse 10, walk worthy of the Lord. And while you are walking worthy of the Lord, what does it say? Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So as you focus on Christ and gain an understanding for the depths, the riches of who Christ is, you're able to walk worthy of the Lord. And what does he do? He rewards you with more knowledge. He rewards you with more. And he says, Paul is saying it begins and ends with God. It's not you. To walk worthy of Christ is not you. It's the working of the Holy Spirit in you and through you. It's a transforming power of the gospel. It is Christ in you. That's what qualifies you to to walk worthy of the Lord. And why do I want to learn more about God? Why do I want to study his word? So that I might know what it means to live like a Christian should. And in turn, God will reveal more of himself to me. Have you ever felt stuck in your Christian walk? The pursuit of Christ does powerful things. That's what Paul is saying here. You know, we can go about things in a multitude of ways. You know, I feel stuck, and so I just need to get out and I need to do this. But Paul is reminding us that it is Christ. That it is Christ who does the work. It's him. It's not you. And so to focus our attention on him and to look at him. Now, as a side note, I want you to see the Trinity engaged uh, in this passage. In verse 9, we have the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. In verse 10, we have the Lord as the goal. In verse 11, we have the Holy Spirit. In verse 12, we have the power of the Father on display. I just love every time the Trinity is mentioned. And I always mention that as a side note. Every time you're reading through Scripture, when you see one of them, look for the other two. Because they're bound to be there. It's amazing, and it's beautiful the way they work together. God in uh, full. It's just wonderful. In verse 10, continuing on, it says, being fruitful in every good work. So Paul wants them to be filled with the knowledge, 
And once they're filled with the knowledge, they can wor walk worthy of the Lord. Why? That they might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Paul wants the believers at Colossae to be engaged to the point that God the Father is receiving maximum glory. He doesn't want them to sit idly by because he knows that if they do that, God isn't receiving maximum glory for their lives. And so he wants them completely and fully engaged. He wants their eternal reward to max out. He wants their eternal reward when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he wants them to receive as much as possible. Why? Not for themselves, but because God the Father is glorified through that. That's what Paul is ultimately saying through this prayer. He's saying, yeah, I want your lives to be transformed, ultimately to give God the glory, because it's due him. He is worthy of it. Verse 11 that you might be increased in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Strengthened with all spiritual might according to his glorious power. Paul brings it back and reminds us again that it's the work of God, that you can't do this on your own. Hope and love that we looked at last week are born out of the Spirit. And it's God working in you that allows you to accomplish anything of value. It's looking to him. It's according to his power and not on our own. And isn't that a wonderful thing? I mean, the power of God reaches so far. Just look around you and see that the world exists. Breathe and realize the power of God. Wouldn't you rather have him doing the work in you? I would. I burn out. I burn out and I get exhausted. And Paul is saying that the work that you do, that you accomplish, isn't you accomplishing it, it's Christ doing the work through you. It's his power and not our own. Verse 11 again, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. And I absolutely love this, especially from our message last week that we saw and we've been reminded this week, these are fruits of the Spirit, these are fruits of the Spirit. Patience, long-suffering, and joy. That's wonderful. Paul continually repeats this message. Do these things because it's not about you, okay? Walking worthy, being fruitful, all of it comes from God. And as you look at Christ, as He becomes your all in all, the fruits of the Spirit are poured out in your life. And you see joy and you see patience, and you see long-suffering. You see the fruits of the Spirit poured out in your life. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 to 11, it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oftentimes, we only apply this to unbelievers. That's usually 
you know, will say, well, you either bend the knee now or you will eventually. Um, and so oftentimes we do apply it to unbelievers, but do you realize that we are included in that number? Have you ever thought of that? This life is not about you. This life is about giving glory to God, magnifying his name. Why? Look at what Christ has done for us. You have been bought with a price. And verses 12 to 14 show us that. They show us that we have been bought with a price. And then we've been redeemed. And our sins have been forgiven because of what Christ has done. That we're no longer our own. So to not look up is to deny the power of God. And to say, well, your sacrifice was great. And I got a lot out of it, namely eternity, eternal life. But, you know, I don't really want anything else from you. I don't want more. And so to not look up, to not look heavenward, to not look at Christ is to to deny the power of God. It's to deny the power of God. Now, just the last thing that I'll mention. Did anybody notice anything about this section? And I want to give you some homework. I want to give you some homework. And it'll be fun homework, I promise. It's the Word of God, so you can't complain. (laughs) And I want as many people as can to do it. And I believe you'll get a lot of joy out of it. It'll take some time, and it'll take some work, but it'll be worth it. Now, this this is the one thing about being a speaker is that I have pages and pages and pages of notes. It's a blessing to study the Word of God. But in half an hour, I can only give a little small glimpse into what the Lord has revealed to me and and shown me throughout studying. And so for this, this is homework. This is in my notes, and I have this written down, and I thought, you know what, maybe this will be my message this morning. But instead, I want to give it as homework. Read Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. I'm sure everyone knows it. Maybe you don't know the reference, but everyone should know it. It's the Lord's model for prayer. O Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Go through and read that model of prayer. And then I want you to read Colossians chapter 1 verse 3 and then drop down and read verses 9 to 14. The Lord gave an example of prayer and Paul follows it verse by verse. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, We thank you for this time that we've had to open up your word. We thank you for this time that we've seen how Paul would remind remind the believers at Colossae to look heavenward, to look at Christ. And Father, might that be our response this morning? To look at Christ, to see him, that we might desire to be filled with the knowledge of who he is, the depths, the riches of who Christ is. That by focusing on him that we might be transformed to be more like him. That we might walk worthy of the Lord. And Father, as Paul reminds us, that you'll reward us with even more knowledge of who you are. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the brothers and sisters who are mentioned in scripture. How that even though they lived so long ago, that we can still be affected by what the Holy Spirit wrote through them, that we can see their lives 
with their faults, with their accomplishments, everything. They're laid bare, Lord. We thank you that they're not perfect people that we can't relate to, but they are normal people like everyone here. And so, Father, we just thank you for the examples in Scripture. Might we be pushed forward in our walk with Christ. Might we yearn and long to be more like him and to serve him. Because, Father, you deserve all the glory. You deserve everything. You deserve an entire life spent for you. So teach us what it means to live like Christians. Teach us what it means to serve. Teach us what it means to love. So again, we thank you for this morning. We lay it before you. Pray that you might be with us as we leave this place. Might the name of Christ be on our minds, be on our hearts. Might, be, might he be on our lips as we leave this place. And we pray in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.